Uh, I'm going to make the most of it and enjoy it. Uh, just before I start, I wrote a few things in my hand. Um, I, I don't. If, if, if Neil said them, it's because I was busy running after a ribbon. Um, tonight, Brent's going to be speaking. I don't know if we've welcomed him or not, but it's really good to have you, Brent. <laughs> it's good to have you in church. There's that much going on. Uh, you're just like a part of the family already. So um, I really encourage you to come out tonight. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to what he's going to share with us, um, bring people that need to hear the hope of Jesus tonight. Um, and uh, let's fill tin house as usual. Um, also, um, Friday morning at the castle, we have a, a, a lady called Sarah Whittleton, um, who's part of um, the Elam Network in Birmingham. But uh, she heads up another thing called Serious for God. And uh, I, love, I love how it describes her. They encourage communities and youth into creative prayer. So... Uh, I'm excited about uh, Friday morning at the castle. If you're not usually there, try and see if you can be there. 9.30 usually lasts for an hour. Um, I don't make it a lot either, so I'm going to make a special effort to get out there this this Friday morning. Uh, and also, it's good to have Pavel back with us as well uh, from Poland. And if you can just keep praying for, for, for him and his wife over in Poland there and uh, keep encouraging him. Um, if you're in Armagh, you, you can maybe do some dinners and stuff and look after him. Uh, so just keep him in your prayers and, and Eva as well. So um, I'm excited to be here this morning. I will put a timer on, but as you know, that sometimes doesn't mean much for me. But we'll see how we get on. Uh, just as I've been preparing for this week, uh, whenever I speak, usually when, it's, when there's a month or two between it, it's usually just a collection of thoughts from what God has been personally speaking to me over the last month or so. And so as we're thinking about Beautiful Surrender this morning, um, the title that I have, subtitle for Beautiful Surrender, is Making the Most of What You've Been Given. And so it's in light, I talked about that a few weeks ago on a Wednesday night, in light of actually the ultimate beautiful surrender, Jesus dying on the cross. That's what we have behind us. In light of that, I'm not having to give up, but in light of that, I want to respond to you, and I want to learn how to surrender my life in a way that makes it look beautiful. And uh, so this morning, I want to start off with just a wee story about a mother. And so it's really great to be here for Mother's Day. Um, But most of us know Mother Teresa. I was reading in a book the last couple of weeks, and, and I found this little story. It says, people often ask me what Mother Teresa was like. Writes, uh, better start my clock. Writes author Shane Claiborne in his book Irresistible Revolution. Sometimes it's like they wonder if she glowed in the dark or had a halo. She was short, wrinkled, and precious, maybe even a little ordinary, like a beautiful, wise old granny. But there is one thing I will never forget, and that's her feet. Her feet were deformed. Each morning I would stare at them. I wondered if she had contracted leprosy. And one day a sister explained, her feet are deformed because we just get enough donated shoes for everyone. And Mother Teresa does not want anyone getting stuck with the worst pair. So she digs through and she finds what's left. And years of doing that have deformed her feet. Years of loving her neighbor as herself have deformed her feet. And when people are asked about the person whose life they most admire, so often the answer is Mother Teresa. She made the most of her life. And it's a paradox because her life was a life of self-denial, a life of taking up her cross and following Jesus. Life is an extraordinary and wonderful gift. And in the Bible, we're often encouraged not to waste that gift that we were given. But as I read through that story, it's very obvious that she is an example of a life that is beautifully surrendered in light of the cross. And there's also another very clear thing, that beautifully surrendering has a cost. 
And it also involves sacrifice. And so part of the stuff that God's speaking to me is that there's a cost and there's a sacrifice. Or else everyone would be doing it. Or else India would be full of Mother Teresa's if it was easy. Or else the world would be full of people that we look up to that are changing the world. But at one point in their life, they decided, right, God, I value you more than I value my life. And I realize who I am in light of you and in light of your beautiful surrender. So I am actually going to respond and do something about it. And so um, last Sunday and during the week, I think it was, I, I shared this quote that I think is just going to bring everything together that we're looking at this morning. And it was from another sermon that I was listening to. When I preach, most of it's just bringing together stuff that I've heard, I've read, or that the Spirit's lead me in. So I'll put that out there for um, plagiarism. But um, it says this, before we become a city on a hill, we need to learn to illuminate the table. That's deep. And so as I've mulled over this and prayed over this, I've, I've realized that there's two different tables. There's the table sitting with the Lord, sitting with the Father. And there's the table of people that he brings us into community with when we go into a relationship with him. And so I'm asking you this morning to think about making the most of what you've been given, what you're like around the table. And the table in context of family, of friends, of work, of your social life, of church. What do you bring to the table? And I don't mean that in a pushy way. I mean, from being around the table with the Father, what do you bring to the table with others? And so it's an invitation in this surrender to become a part of people's, the people's process of getting to know the Father intimately. And so when you walk through these doors, you're not just walking through a random church. You're walking through the doors into the lives of lots of individual lives. That when we come together, we are one family that we long to and love to sit around the table together. And we care deeply about visas that aren't given. We care deeply about financial situations. We care deeply about people that are hurting, that are broke, people that are sick and that are ill. And so when you walk through the door, we care about your week and we care about the table that you've been sitting at this week. And so if we want to illuminate our cities, we need to illuminate the table that we sit at. And so as I was sitting thinking um, about this, God was saying to me that this is a process of getting to know me so that you can surrender your life to me, so that the, the table that you're sitting at with me just becomes another view of the table you're sitting at with everyone else. There's no difference. The tables run parallel, because when you sit with me as a father, it's going to ultimately overflow into every other table that you sit at. Sorry if I'm talking about tables too much, but you get what I'm talking about, yeah? And so this was personal to me when I was thinking about surrender. And many of you know, back last year, if you would have asked me about the job I'm doing now, I would have maybe swore inwardly and said, no, I'm not doing that job. There's one day running up that road where I very clearly heard God say to me that I want you to do this. It was like he took me by the scruff of the neck and he pulled me very nicely and gently. And I realized in that moment that I can either keep running or I can surrender to you. At the end, I'm going to look at fear. I believe fear is the ultimate opposition to surrender. And so I could have responded in fear. I could respond in surrender. And so I just wrote down a few words of what I felt in that moment. And I believed it was this. When God spoke to me about surrendering something in my life, I believed it was an invitation to be led by God to a place where daily surrender was needed to function. I needed to get to a place where everything I needed to do in that day had to be submitted and surrendered to God or I couldn't function. 
I could function in the physical. I went on to write, I needed to, that to function. I needed it for growth, for ideas, for my sanity, for confidence, and for clarity. And so I realized that, God, you're calling me into this. But usually when God's calling us into a place of surrender, it means that we are going to freak out a little bit. It means that we're going to have to sacrifice. It means that we're going to have to change. It means that we're going to have to give. But ultimately what he's offering is a life of full dependence on him because he knows how good it is. In uh, the dictionary, surrender says this, Stop resisting to an enemy or an opponent and submit to their authority. Or give up and hand over. And I like that the best because I put after that, in light of the cross, I give up and I give over. Literally, I give it over, but also I give over. Just, that's enough. Shut up. You ever, you ever feel like saying that to somebody? That's enough. Just give over. We get the picture. And so sometimes God says, you know, just give up and give over. And so surrender causes us to seek another's opinion and input and leading in our life. So in the physical, it causes us, listen, I, I don't know what to do with this. I've had enough. I need to surrender this to you because I need your input and I need your guidance and I need your leading and I need your accountability. But in the spiritual side, it's God, I need the same things. And so this morning, it leads us to a place of understanding who we are. Surrender ultimately isn't that you're weak, but it, also, it, it, it means that you understand, I am a child of the king. It's not weakness, it's actually strength to say that, God, I submit to you because I realize that I need you to function in daily life. And I want you, in light of the cross, in light of what I know you can do in my life, in light of what you've done for me, I need to surrender. And so this morning I want to look at three key areas, three key areas that God has been speaking to me about. And so I'll try my best to get through them as quick as possible. But the first one is this, mastering self-discipline. I know we don't like hearing that word, but I'm going to use it again in light of. This is not uh, rules must do. This is in light of the cross. God, I want to make sure that my self-discipline is in a place where I can hear from you. The second one, and and also I call that sitting down. The second part is giving my life away. So surrendering my life and giving my life away. And I call that walking. And the third one is serving God at work. And I call that standing and fighting. So the first one um, I want to think about is mastering self-discipline. I even hate that title, that word, but it's just to get the point across. So surrendering to God and mastering self-discipline. And so it's not a religious act, but it's an overflow of relationship. Usually when we are disciplined in something, it's because we want to get something out of it. So as many as you know, Robert's been on the protein, and he's doing the weights, and he's got the wife beater t-shirts on, and it's because he is disciplining himself to lift weights and eat a bit healthier, and to try and get a bit, you know, bulkier. And so he's doing it because he wants something out of it. And so, also, I know Nigel runs sometimes, but the reason Nigel's running because he wanted to lose a bit of weight, and he wanted to get, you know, thinned down and get healthier. And so most of the time, I'll not embarrass anybody else, most of the time when we do something out of discipline is to get something back. But ultimately in the kingdom, we surrender because of, in light of the cross, God, I want to give you everything. And the great thing is that we actually do get so much back. Proverbs 6, verse 6 to 11 says this. Did you get you live in translation? No? Yeah, good girl. It says this. And so before this, 
In the verses before this, it talks about um, being wise with your finances, how to respond to your finances. And then it goes on to say this about your finances. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they, have been, though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. But you lazy bones, how long will you sleep? When will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Um, scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. And so I'm not going to go in and call these all lazy bones. I'm just setting the context for where we're going with this. And the first one that God's been speaking to me about is mastering my finances. And so I believe that God has given me resources. He's given you resources uh, in finances and other things that we'll look at. But the purpose of that is so that we can impact the world for his glory. The purpose is that we can make dreams come alive in the dreams that he's given us, but in the dreams of others around us. The purpose of it is to look at others with the heart of the Father in surrender, and in light of what he's done on the cross, this is what I want my finances to be about, Father. And so, um, on Friday night, Red Nose Day was on, and um, I know there's stuff in the the media about it's just become about actors and whatever, but I, I... I watched a little bit about a child the same age as Reuben. And in the middle of that, um, the little child died of a preventable disease. And I sat there, and this isn't to talk and make us feel guilty, but I sat there holding Reuben in my ha- arms, who had fallen asleep, and thinking, if this was my child that had died of a preventable disease, what would I do and how would I respond? And I wrote this down at the side of my page, and I wrote, who is missing out because I And so who is missing out because I neglect to surrender my finances to the Lord? Because I'm so selfish with them. And please don't take this as a guilt trip. If that was my son, I would do everything in my power to raise awareness of it. But God is asking this morning, we're going to go on now to, to, to talk about seeking the Lord and and understanding him in his heart. But if I actually spent time with the Father and I surrendered things to him and I said, God, I need your input in this, how would the world look if all Christians that love God surrendered their finances to him and said, God, this is yours? And so I don't want to write down who is missing out because of David. Who is missing out because we as the church And so I wrote this phrase down, and it says, you, your identity should not be found in your finances, but your identity should define your finances. And so your money shouldn't define you. Your identity should define your finances. And so understanding who you are will take away fear, will give you confidence to give it over to the Lord. What would the world look like if we surrendered? our finances. Psalm 37 verse 21b says that the godly are generous givers. The second thing is mastering our time. And so as I've looked at this, I'm asking myself the question, am I present and correct with God throughout the day? And I have, I'm steering away from these, you have to have your time with the Lord, you have to have your time where it's just your silence and your time with God. But I'm, I want to get to this place where I am constantly present and cracked with the Father. Where I was, when I was getting 
taking all your money there, talking about finances. Reuben just came up and he took my hand and he just started to walk with me. And I love it. I don't care. It's great. And the father said to, me, said to us, you know, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I love it when you just walk up in the middle of me doing something and take my hand and look up to me and just say, I just want to be here and I just want to walk with you. And so I want to learn the art with my time of being present and cracked with the Father. He wants the good, he wants the bad, and he wants the ugly. And so that impacts us, then it impacts our family, our community, our church. Table time. And so this is where God is asking us, I want you to sit at the table with me. And so this week, as we're, I want to give an illustration about time. I want to ask the same question. Who is missing out because of my time? And what would the world look like if? And so to give me an illustration, the, um, last week I was with Brent in, in Uri, And the Lord put something in my heart for a guy sitting across from me. And I think I've told you this. And he just gave me a few words. But also he, he gave me an insight of the where, where he was and how he was feeling. And so I ran out the door after him. And I just put my hand on his shoulder, and I just wanted to encourage him. I wanted to build him up, and I wanted to lift him up. But I also said to him what I had in my heart for him. And he just looked at me, and, and I'll not tell you the response, because it's, it's, being, it's being filmed. But I got this email on Friday. And this email sums up who is missing out, and what would the world look like. At the end of the email, it says this. Thank you for what you said. I was starting to believe that God couldn't hear my worries but he heard me loud and clear. And I'm not special. I haven't done that in months. But that was in a response to Eugene last Wednesday sitting here saying, God, I need more of your spirit. God, I need to listen to you more. I need to follow you more. And the next day, the next day when I actually sat down and listened to the Father, God gave me an opportunity. And so who is missing out because, put your name in there, I'm not listening and giving you the time that I need to give you, Father. I'm not beautifully surrendering my time. And so, going back to Proverbs 6, we can waste our lives through lack of self-discipline. And so, when you give your life to Jesus, there's things that aren't bad for you, but they're not the best for you in light of what he's done on the cross. And so, practically, I love watching stuff on Netflix, but I tell you what, it can become a wee bit addictive. There's stuff I love watching and listening to and reading, but it can become a wee bit addictive. There's times when, calling me and the brothers, me and Neville and Neil and Ronnie meet, and there's times when we can talk nonsense for too long instead of actually getting down to what's God saying to you or what's happening in life. And so in light of that, we need to learn from the ant. The ant has no boss. The ant has no one to tell it what to do. It has no commander, it's no overseer, it's no ruler. But it works hard to store provisions in summer for the winter. And so it realizes that there's something at stake and I need to respond with my time. And so as Christians this morning, I'm asking you, what would your life look like if you learned to beautifully surrender? And so in the middle of that, the reason that the seventh day, the Sabbath was created, was to be a place of rest. It wasn't for the Father, but it's for us as a place of rest. And do you know what the Father done on the seventh day? He sat down, And he looked and he took stock of what a creation that I've made. And so often when we're in the opposite of surrender, we're just too busy here and there and everywhere. And what are we doing? And what are we doing for God? And what's God doing here? And what's God doing there? Or what's my family doing? 
and we don't take time to sit down, to rest in his presence and take stock of all the little beautiful things that he is weaving together and patching into our life and the stories that he's bringing around us and the things that he's doing in work that they're not macro but they're micro and they're building and they're changing lives. And so I want us this morning to think again about sitting down at his feet. And this is what I want to talk about time. Ephesians 2 verse 6. It says, For he raised us up from the dead, along with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Because we are united with Christ, so God can point us to all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. And so understanding who we are gives us authority to come in and sit at his feet. I can almost think of it like if you think of a, a, a concert that you've been to where there's queues out the door. And next thing, you walk up and you go to the door and say, actually, I'm here to see my father. He's, he's the one that's on stage. No problem. You come on in. And there's queues inside. And you get to the door next door and you say, actually, it's my father. Can I go up? I just need to go up and, and have a word with him. No problem. You come up. And he's up on the stage and he's busy and he's getting ready for something. He says, it's all right, son. Just, just sit there a wee minute. Just, just watch what I'm doing. When I'm done here, I've got time for you. And so if we understand who we are, we understand the privilege of the access that we have to the Father because of being sons of the King. It defines how we think. It defines how we behave. It defines what we do with our finances and our time. And so he's telling us, it's not a command, but a promise that you are seated with me in the heavenly realms. And the promise that goes along with it is, if you sit with me, if you take time to sit, then I'm going to tell you things about the future. I'm going to let you in on heavenly kingdom secrets that are going to change your life. And that, see, when you go to the table tomorrow, you're going to impact the lives of those around you because you're being influenced by the Father by taking time to sit still and just listen to what I have to say to you. It's a promise. We're seated in heavenly realms so he can point us to the future ages. He can point out to us what's ahead. And it's prophetic. It's God telling you things and letting you in secrets. It's God accelerating your life whenever you go to that person on the street like this email from last week and are able to say something in confidence that I feel this is what God's put in my heart and they respond with, my goodness, how does God know me? I thought God wasn't listening to me, but it's very clear he is. And God wants to do that on a daily basis if we will surrender our time to sit at his feet. And I preached this before and I give the illustration of a duck we don't use docks anymore for our iPads. But it's like a charger where you're just sitting to plug in. And if you don't plug it in long enough, it'll run out within an hour. But if you put it in for the right time, it's going to last you all day. It's going to do what it's supposed to do. And so this morning, I feel like some of us need to learn how to sit and dock. And it's an invitation as disciples to let heaven invade earth. This morning, I got an illustration of it. I know I don't want to be one of these ones that finds an illustration in everything that our kids do. But I was trying to put Joshua's jump, or Ruben's jumper on this morning. And he kept fighting me and putting his hands up and putting it down. And I said, would you just sit at peace? I said it that, like that too. Would you just sit at peace? You're going to make it longer. You're making it harder to put it on because you won't get your hands out of the way and stop trying to help me. I don't need your help. You just need to sit there and put it down. Put your hands down. And straight away, I just felt like God was saying to me, 
the do you know the amount of times in your life where I'm telling you just to sit at peace? And I'm saying it that loud for a reason because that's what God's saying to me. Sit at peace. You're making things harder than they have to be. I just want you to sit down and rest in my presence and let me do what I have to do with you. Because when you do, things are going to be so different. There'll be a time in his life where he can put his own jumper on. But right now, and I believe this is a word for our church, sit down at my feet and let me do some stuff in you as individuals at the table with me. So when you come together, things are going to happen. Haven't used that voice in a while. The Passion Translation says this, Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace and kindness. Isn't that amazing? The purpose of sitting at my feet is this, Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace and kindness, which was showered upon us in Christ Jesus. I want that to be my definition. I am the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of the grace and kindness of Jesus. So God, you've given me my finances, you've given me my time, you've given me my talents. And I will be disciplined in the direction that I use them. I want to state that this morning. I will be disciplined in the direction that I use them, Father. John Wimber said this, that the ability to hear what God is saying... Uh, To see what God is doing and to move in the realm of the miraculous comes as an individual develops the same intimacy with a dependence upon the Father as Jesus had. How did Jesus do what he did? The answer is found in his relationship with the Father. So how will we do the greater things than these which Jesus promised? By discovering the same relationship of intimacy, the simplicity and obedience. By laying down what I feel I'm entitled to. And so I want to repent this morning. And I urge you to do the same. God, I repent of things that I have wasted my finances and my time on. And in light of your beautiful surrender, God, what do you want me to do with them? What would the world look like if we? And so the second one, with master discipline, the second one is giving your life away in beautiful surrender, learning to walk with the Father. And so in light of the seventh day, are you ready to make choices that make you present and correct with the Father, that enable you to impact the table that you're sitting at today, that will you're choosing to get rid of distractions that last a moment so that you can have commune with the Father for things that last a lifetime. And so I'm giving you permission, God, to stop me this morning. To stop me from complicating things. To stop me from conforming to the world. And to stop me from battling with everything that's around me. Does anybody ever go through a phase in life where every day just feels like a battle? And the battle is because you know what you should be doing. Do you know that Romans uh, verse of Paul? I know what I should be doing, but I can't do it. But I want to do it, and I can't do it. And I know I should do it, but I can't do it. And there's so many days where you waste your energy and your time going through the motions of, I need to stop this, I can't do it, I need, I, I need to do this better. I need to. And so I realized this week that in a place of rest is where those things are untangled and got rid of. 
1 Kings 5, verse 3 to 5, it says this about Solomon. You know that my father David was not able to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord, his God, because of the many wars waged against him by the surrounding nations. He could not build until the Lord gave him victory over all his enemies. But now the Lord, my God, has given me peace on every side. I have no enemies and all is well. So I'm planning to build a temple to honor the name of the Lord, my God, just as he, has instructed my, he had instructed my father David. For the Lord told him, your son, whom I will place on your throne, will build a temple to honor my name and so Solomon is talking about a place of peace on all sides he's talking about a lifestyle of rest and so people know the quote higher level higher devil and I realized this week that we give far too much ground to the devil and don't take me wrong there's respect needed but it's not higher level higher devil it's higher level higher God And so the problem with people is that they take on battles with the devil and they talk about things from a place where they're not at rest, they don't know who they are, and they're not in intimacy with the Father. Back when the disciples couldn't cast out the specific demon, this one comes with fasting and prayer. This one comes by sitting your butt down and taking time with me and getting to know who you are and me giving you authority and me giving you power. And so take it like that. In a place of you knowing who you are, in a place of rest, it's not higher level, higher devil. It's higher level, higher God. Yes, the devil will come and attack. Yes, he will try all he can. But ultimately, God is on the throne. Ultimately, God has won the victory. And I'm not telling you to be stupid. This is out of a place of people who are serious about God. And so God is calling us to view the devil from a different perspective. You're seated on heavenly realms. Why do you still view things from earthly realms? Why do you not talk to me about the future? Why do you not talk to me about today? And so he's asking us, just like Solomon, I want to bring you to a place of rest. I want to bring you to a place where you're not at war with yourself because of all the sin going on. And I realize this is easier said than done. I want to bring you to a place of rest where you're not creating the turmoil. One thing I've noticed in life is that most of the time something's happening on Facebook or in life, there's a lot of Christians involved. And so I'm asking you, in light of who I am, in light of beautiful surrender, in light of rest with me, start thinking about the wars that you create around you for no reason. You're thinking from an earthly perspective and not a heavenly realm perspective. And so I want you to stop creating holy drama. Stop creating holy drama. Make the right choices, both in the physical and the spiritual, and let's see what will happen. So in light of the rest, from verse 5, in this verse, Solomon said, I'm going to build the temple. I'm going to get on with it. I'm making the choice in light of surrendering these things to the Father, I am going to get on with what he has called me to do. I know who I am. I know what I carry. And so I am going to get on with it. I'm going to put the holy drama behind me. We're going to talk a wee bit about that before the end. God says, I go before you. I go behind you. St. Patrick's Prayer, I am all around you. So who cares if you have to jump over something to get to someone else? Who cares 
if you have to jump over something because of loving someone else? Who cares if you're offended by their sin? Who cares if their doctrine is different? And please take this in context. I don't want one of these snippets on YouTube saying that I'm a heretic. But in light of sitting with the Father, in light of beautiful surrender, who cares if they offend you? If they need Jesus, jump over whatever it is to bring the light of Jesus to that table. We're not called to walk in complete agreement with each other. But we are called to walk in unity. Unity and agreement are two different things. And so Mark 8, verse 14 to 15, this is after, imagine this, Jesus has fed the 4,000, Jesus has fed the 5,000. You would think by this point you would get it. Jesus can create bread out of nothing, right? Jesus can create from whatever he chooses. And the disciples go on, verse 14, to say, but the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them. They were fighting about it. What are we going to do? We don't have enough to eat, lads. And I can imagine Jesus standing there going, are you serious? Have you not just seen what I have done? And the 12 of you, not 4,000, not 5,000, not including children and, and women. You still don't believe me and trust me and see who you are and see who I am. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees of Herod. And so the devil's plan is to divide his people. It's to blind you from what God has done. Because he wants to keep you focused on the wrong things in life. He doesn't want you to surrender these things. He will keep you in a place of fear and doubt. And so what he's saying here is that people are so caught up in the flesh that they forget who they are walking with. They forget that Jesus is walking right beside them because they're so caught up on the earthly instead of the heavenly realm. And Jesus warns his disciples about this. That's a common metaphor for evil tendencies getting into someone. And it flows through them and it corrupts the whole person. You know, the devil's plan isn't macro for us. It's micro. He wants to get in and all the little small things that we don't think are sinner. We don't think distract us. And it takes us away. And it's the slow fear that takes us away from the Father. Jim Carrey. We all know who Jim Carrey is, don't we? Noah looked a bit like him. In his younger days. He said this. I think everyone should get rich and famous. And do everything they've dreamed of. So that they can see that it's not the answer. And so the devil. He wants you to get rich and famous. If you don't know who you are. So don't take me wrong. If you're not spending time at the feet of the Father, he wants you to get rich and famous and he wants to distract you. But if you're sitting at the feet of the Father and saying, God, what about my time and my finances? Well, son, I want to bless you with this because this is who's going to benefit from it. This is whose life's going to change because of it. And this is who's going to encounter me because of it. Are you still with me? Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 7 says this. And it will not be up there. It says, As a prisoner of the Lord, I plead with you to walk holy. For we went from sitting to walking. Walk holy in a way that is suitable to your high rank. Given to you in your divine calling. Think about it. Think about your high rank. You behave differently when you're given authority over something. You behave differently whenever your boss comes and says, Listen, I trust you. I think you're worthy of this. And I think you're capable of doing this for me. So, 
in light of that, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to hand this over to you. And so Ephesians 4 says this, in light of your high rank that has been given to you, the divine calling, in light of that, with tender humility and quiet patience, always demonstrate gentleness and generous generous love. And the original word in Greek for that meant stretching love. Stretching love. It's not comfortable. It's stretching. Love towards one another. I love this bit. Especially towards those who may try your patience. Be faithful to guard the sweet harmony of the Holy Spirit among you in the bonds of peace so that you will be one body, one spirit as you are called into the same glorious hope and divine destiny. For the Lord God is one and so are we. For we share in one faith, one baptism, one Father. He is a perfect Father who leads us all, um, works through us all and lives in us all. And he has generously given each one of us supernatural grace according to the size of the gift of Christ. And so this passage is talking about the oneness. It says one seven times, and it says us and we six times. It's talking about the bride. It's talking about the church. It's talking about you and me. And it's saying you are one. It's we. It's us. The doctrine thing, we can talk about the depth of that, but there's doctrine, and there's personal preferences, and there's the way you like the music, and there's the way you don't like lights, and there's the way you like the paint job, and there's the way you like the coffee, and all these things, they seep in, and the devil says, I've got you right where I want you. And meanwhile, people outside are missing Jesus because we are failing to focus on him. And so we are called to be one. And do you know what I love about this? When you sit at the table with the Father, it ultimately leads to you sitting to the table with others that love Jesus. Because you can't do it in accountability, or you can't do it without accountability. You can't do it alone. So that's a warning if you are a maverick that likes to do things alone. It's not biblical. When you sit at the table with the Father, the overflow will be you will want to sit at the table with others. And so Jesus calls us in Mark 8 to deny ourselves. He says, take up your cross and follow me, just like Mother Teresa did at the start. And the word deny means to say no to yourself. And you know, the Christian life involves daily denial. But the Christian life for so long has got it out of a place of have to instead of a place of overflow and response to sitting at the feet of the Father. And so I am asking you this morning, in light of your rank, what are some things that you need to deny yourself that will enable you to hear from the Father more clearly, that will enable you to be more effective and powerful for the kingdom of God? That's the time nearly up. You're called to love and you're called to love God in the middle of loving other people all around you. And as you give yourself away, God is going to take care of you. And so, in the middle of all this, as I quickly finish my last point, in the middle of all this, we are called to be one. But what we need to realize is that we're all at different levels of surrender. We are all at different walks in life. And so, in a family, we need grace for each other. We need grace to get on with each other. We need grace for each other's fault. And so to illustrate this, it's like me walking in yesterday morning and Reuben brings his little book, the, the Hopalo, which is the Gruffalo, up to me. And he can read certain words, but it's like me getting cross with him and saying, why are you not reading Shakespeare yet, son? And so sometimes in the Christian life, we have people that we look at and we think, why are you not reading Shakespeare yet? When they're still reading the Gruffalo. But it's okay that they're reading the Gruffalo. It's okay that they're still sipping from the milk. 
And it's our responsibility in light of the cross, in light of sitting at the table together, to ask them to come around it. And to learn from each other. And to encourage each other. And say, listen, I've been where you are. I know what you're going through. I'm going to help you because there's a few roadblocks you may come across. And I don't want you to hit the same walls as me. And so we're in this together. And we're all at different processes. We're all at different stages. And we need grace. So we've had sit. We've had walk. And we've had giving your life in discipline. Giving your life away. And the last one is beautifully surrendering to God at work. And so there's two ways in which we can do this. There's the physical, actually at work. God has called you and given you a purpose at work. And the other purpose is that he has called you and given you a purpose to work for him in the kingdom. And so quickly I'll read Exodus 36 verse 1. And it says that the Lord had gifted Bezalel and Ohilabab, I think that's how you said, I don't know, and the other skilled craftsmen and with wisdom and ability to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary. Let them construct and furnish the temple just as the Lord had commanded. And so for those of you who think that whenever you get saved, whenever you sit at the feet of Jesus, it means a calling to full-time ministry. I don't believe that's the case. I believe it's full-time ministry in the sense of where you're at, unless God shows you otherwise. But it's very clear here that God said, I'm gifting you and giving you an ability. And later on in verse uh, 31, it says that God has filled him with a spirit. I filled him with a spirit and giving him the skill and know-how and the expertise in every craft and design. So when you know who Jesus is, you sit with him, you walk with him. Then ultimately your expression at the table, when we're talking about work, he's filled you with the spirit to do that. And so to be a good musician or to be a good singer or all these different things. You don't need to be filled with a spirit. You can be talented. But the thing is, with people that know Jesus and have sat with him and have walked with him, when they're filled with a spirit, it just becomes so beautiful. If you're around people that you you look at them and you go, how is God doing that? How is God opening so many doors? How do you get so many opportunities? Like Gareth there just getting the, I'm jealous of half the doors he gets to open. Or God gets to open for you. That's right. And so I look at him and I know he's a man filled with the Spirit for the purpose of his work. And so what happens is God looks down and goes, you know what, I'm going to open this door for you today, son. You be ready, you be waiting, you be expectant. You wait and see what I'm going to do with you with your work. And so the good thing and the great thing that I find about being filled with the Spirit of God is even if you're not the best, God will give you influence. God will create a place in your work with like Judith um, for years has been doing it in her workplace where people will come to you and say, I see something different in you. And I just feel like I need to talk to you. I feel like I need to get this off my chest. And so I want to stress the importance of being filled with the Spirit for the purpose of work. And knowing who you are by sitting with the Father and walking with Him and giving up your rights to Him that ultimately He will use you where you're at. Ephesians 6 verse 10 to 11 says this, A final word, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. The Passion says this, stand victorious with the force of his explosive power flowing through you. Not only does he call us to stand, but he calls us to take a fight. Ephesians 6, 17 to 18 says, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Another translation says, embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance. I want to finish with this little side note of this. I believe that a lot of people get the sitting. 
A lot of people get the standing or get, get the walking, but very people get the, the stand and fight. And in this, we have no armor for our back. And the reason is because we don't turn our back. We keep going forward. The boots that they're talking about, they have studs that dig into the dirt and they move forward slowly, one step at a time. And so what I've realized this week, in light of Karen praying for Canada, in light of countries where um, there's different things happening with the church, I've realized that we have failed to stand and we have failed to fight. And I'm not talking about physical fighting. I'm talking about spiritually fighting and praying in all occasions in the spirit. I'm talking about standing up for our rights, but in love and humility. I'm talking about serving the community around us to love them into the kingdom of Jesus. And don't get me wrong, that involves the gospel clearly and not watered down. But we are told to take a stand and fight. And the problem is some of the people standing and fighting don't have a clue what they're talking about because they haven't sat with the Father and they haven't walked with him. And so I'm urging you as people of God this morning to take time to sit with the Father, to walk with him. And in light of that, in confidence, in humility, in love, to take stands and to fight. Not making stupid choices, but making calculated choices in the presence of God that are going to open doors, that are going to win people for Jesus, that are going to show people the love of the Father, and that you're going to be a walking display of the Holy Spirit just like Jesus was when he was on earth. And so to finish off, definitely this is me finished. The band can come up. That that means I'm serious. But I was reading about the Spartans. Does anybody know who the Spartans are? We are the Spartan army. And so they were a, a race of people in uh, gr- Greek history. Please don't quote me in all this history. But um, they chose men from birth. If you weren't strong enough, or you weren't good enough, you were left on top of a mountain to die as a baby. And the reason was because they only wanted the best of the best and they were trained up to be mighty warriors. But the Spartans, the reason they were so successful in small numbers was because of their unity and their bond. Everything they talked about was about fighting, was about unity, was about winning. They were cultured. They were creative people. But they knew when we go on that battlefield, we are as one unit. We operate as one unit. We talk as one unit. We live and breathe as one unit. It's said in parts of it that they would rather not lay down their weapons for any danger or even hunger. And so part of this fighting and the standing is I feel like sometimes we get into a place where we're just like, oh, I give up. I can't do it anymore. We lay down the sword. Oh, I just can't do it anymore. I'm going to lay it down. Or because we have a hunger for something else in life that seems better or looks better, we lay it down. The Spartans said that at one stage, one Spartan was worth several men from any other state. And I believe that's the case with people that sit with Jesus, that walk with him and stand with him. We become more than we can ever be in the physical with our minds, with our gifts, with our talents, with our finances, with our time. Everything is increased whenever we take time to sit with the Father and seek the Spirit. The Spartans knew very well their identity and their calling, and they were willing to lay down their life for the cause. And so this morning as we're finishing, again, I believe that the devil's strategy against beautiful surrender is fear and manipulation. It's fear and manipulation. And fear is the main way that the devil stops people surrendering things to the Father. And it may not be called fear, but it's fear in many different forms. And I'm not going to go into it this morning. But fear is a lie. 
Fear creates seeds in you that grow and grow and grow until you don't know what to do with them. It robs you of your joy. It drains you of your energy. And I don't know what that fear is this morning, but I believe this is something I want to finish on and I want us to go into worship with. For ultimate surrender, we need to learn how to lay down our fears and give them to the Father. Maybe you have fear of missing out if you lay something down. Maybe you have fear over your finances of what will actually happen if you say to God, I want to to give you my finances. What's he going to ask you to do? Or what's he already asked you to do? Maybe it's fear about your calling. I don't know if I'm ready to give up what I'm doing. Maybe it's fear in following what others may think. But just think of it like this. You have your own fear. I don't need to tell you what it is. The Holy Spirit will tell you yourself what your fear is. And if you don't know, ask him. But think of this. Look at beautiful surrender. And if Jesus had let fear, which he could have easily done, take over instead of surrendering his life to the Father, what would our lives be like now? And so this morning in light, if you forget everything else I said, which you might do, I want you to think about what fear is holding you back from sitting, from walking, from standing, from fighting. Think about the fear that's stopping you. And this morning I want to invite you to the table. I want to invite you to the table of Grace Community Church where this morning we're going to worship together and we're going to praise and we're going to pray. But if there's stuff that you need out, just get it out. If there's people you need to pray with you, then let's do it. But I want to read you the song. You can start playing there. I want to read you this song that I've been listening to all week. If you want to look it up, it's by Zach Williams called To The Table. But he says this, Hear the voice of love that's calling. There's a chair that waits for you and a friend who understands everything you're going through. But you keep standing at a distance in the shadow of your shame. There's a light of hope that's shining Won't you come and take your place? Bring it all to the table. There's nothing he ain't seen before. For all your fear, all your sorrow and your sadness, there's a saviour and he calls, bring it all to the table. He can see the weight you carry, the fear that you hold in your heart, but through the cross you've been forgiven, you're accepted as you are. So bring it all to the table. There's nothing he ain't seen before. For all your trials, all your worries and your burdens, there's a saviour and he calls. Bring it all to the table. So I'm asking this morning to take your place. Even if this is a call for commitment to this church, take your place at the table so that we can change this community with love, with the beauty of the Father. Bring it all to the table.